Attention all units, attention all units. Be advised the upcoming podcast contains high-level intelligence on the naked gun that some listeners may find to be spoiler-heavy. If you have not yet had the pleasure of viewing, proceed with caution. Over and out. This is Diabolical, the comedy podcast where four long-suffering friends dissect film's most dastardly schemes, then try to improve them. I'm your host, Ben, and this week we're diving into the deadpan world of the naked gun. So fasten your seatbelts, turn on your siren, and let's get diabolical. Hello, and welcome to the show. As always, I'm here with three bubbling but oh-so-lovable detectives. Introduce yourselves and tell us your favourite spoof or parody movie. The best, the best, the best. Please kick us off. Hello, I am the best, the best, the best. And my favourite parody movie is also by Zaz, and it is called Top Secret, starring Val Kilmer. Kind of a parody of Elvis musical military films. It's an odd one. Well, we've seen now. With an incredible underwater pub fight scene. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the greatest sight gag maybe ever with uh, Peter Cushing in the bookstore. Sight being the operative word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I only saw that for the first time last year, but it's great, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty cool. I don't think I've seen that then. No, neither have I. That is worth watching. It's very good. I'll dig it out. Cinch on the mic there, Craig. Lieutenant Craig, Peril Squad here. <laughs> my favourite parody movie, not the one that I find the funniest, that would be a different one, but my favourite in terms of pure quality and how well it reproduces what its intended production value is, is Young Frankenstein, Mel Brooks's ode to James Whale Frankenstein, and it's mm-hmm. so well executed. That is a great film. And so many great Marty Feldman gags. Yeah. How about you, Turner? Hello, Noswaythar. Adam here. My favourite spoof is one we've already covered. One of my picks, which was Team America, World Police. In my mind, something that can never be recreated again. I did consider picking that, but I thought maybe you would, Turner. So I left it be. You're a lovely man. You're a lovely, <laughs> lovely man. The best, the best, the best. And you're trying to fool us tonight with your previous moniker there as well. Trying to trip us up on purpose tonight, aren't you? Well, I changed that for an upcoming appearance on a podcast called Fundamentals, which all of our peril pals should oh. tune into. Myself and Craig guessing on that, talking about movie villains. So there you go. Excellent. Look out for that, please, peril pals. As for me, my favourite spoof or parody movie, well, except for... The one we're covering tonight, I'd have to say, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah. Okay. I just think it's it's great. And and it's one I can just go back to again and again. I never really thought of it as a parody, but I guess it is. Yeah, like a historical epic parody. Exactly, yeah. But I had a long list. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, the one I think is the funniest still that holds up for pure, like, gag quality is Airplane. I still think that's just genius. Oh, it's amazing. I've got hot shots on my list, Spinal Tap, all of the Christopher Guest stuff. Yeah, Spinal Tap was high on mine. Yeah. Spaceballs, I thought you would pick, actually. I thought you were going to have Spaceballs. Another one that popped up in discussions that I haven't seen for ages was Loaded Weapon, which I remember really liking. Yeah, yeah. That's Samuel R. Jackson, isn't it? Yeah, and Amelia Estevez, I think. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I think podcast favourite, Tim Curry is in that. Uh, is he? the baddie, by any chance. Probably is. One of the baddies, if not the baddie. I remember there's a scene where he dresses up as a Girl Scout. Yes. Try and get the microfilch. Oh, yeah. They're trying to sell them cookies. <laughs> yeah, but really he wants the microfilch. Hand over the microfilch. <laughs> <laughs> Later, we'll compete to see who can concoct the most outrageous evil scheme to earn precious peril points for the Season 5 leaderboard. But first, let's delve into this week's movie. The Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad was released in 1988, 
bringing the clueless but effective Lieutenant Frank Drebin to the big screen for the first time, following his introduction in the short-lived 1982 TV series Police Squad. Played by the incomparable Leslie Nielsen, Drebin stumbles through a devious plot to assassinate Queen Elizabeth II, uncovering conspiracies with the finesse of a bull in a house of cards. With layers upon layers of sight gags and non sequiturs galore, the film is regarded as a comedy classic, and its strong box office showing led the studio to greenlight two sequels and cemented Nielsen's status as a comedy legend. Adam, as someone with a track record of laughing at things... <laughs> How rude. Did this movie make you giggle your shriveled little plums off? <laughs> or did it leave you feeling like you'd caught your shriveled little plums in the door of a 67 Buick Riviera? Well, it reconstituted my shriveled little plums into vine-ripened tomatoes of the biggest quality. <laughs> Here we go. I love that, son. <laughs> Yeah, I really love this watch. Some of the gags I, I always remember. I've always remembered since first seeing it. One in particular, probably get onto later. Some of them aren't landing as quite as tough as they used to, but they're still. If you put yourself in its time, it's uncomparable, really, isn't it? And I noticed as well. It's the second time we've featured Ricardo Montalban as our villain. Yeah, and it's the second time he's used mind control. To enact his uh, diabolical plans. Oh yeah! Uh, oh wow! I think that thing. Talk about being typecast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to do these spy kids to get him a good guy on the on the board. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, such a charismatic on-screen presence. But if the Power Pals do want to check out the other film we covered, Montebalin, that's episode thirteen, The Wrath of Khan. It's a long time ago. We were just babies in the world of podcasting. And now, Indeed. look at us, full-grown titans. <laughs> it still has one of my favourite lines of all the podcasts. And that's where Craig says, a shoe of undeniable quality. <laughs> <laughs> that stuck with me for, God, well, wife's at 87. I've been looking for an excuse to say it my whole life, and one finally came up. <laughs> Pay dirt. Oh, man. <laughs> all right, the best, the best, the best. How did you enjoy this watch? Yeah, very, very much so. Uh, it's it's not even a gag a minute, is it? It's a gag every 10, 20 seconds, whether it's a sight gag, a pun, a look from Leslie Nielsen. Uh, it, it's just bang, 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 bang. It, it doesn't stop for breath. Yeah. Lots of very memorable one-liners. Throw away as well, uh, as is the style of just hammering these gags out nonstop. Leslie Nielsen's great. You got a couple of non-actors in Lisa Marie and the venerable O.J. Simpson who acquit themselves quite well. Priscilla, you mean? I made the same mistake while I was watching it. It is Priscilla, yeah. Oh, I do apologise. Yes, it's Priscilla Presley. Lisa Marie's the recently deceased daughter. Yeah. Or one of Tim Burton's ex-wives, depending on your Lisa Marie <laughs> preference. <laughs> is she not Nick Cage's ex-wife as well? Or was that, I got that wrong. Lisa Marie Presley, maybe, but Lisa Marie, the model, who was Ichabod Crane's mum in Sleepy Hollow. Oh, yeah. 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 Ah, I see. Does anybody know what episode of Sleepy Hollow was? We've done Sleepy Hollow as well, people. It's season two. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah, it's something like 35, 34, 35. Yeah, I think, you, I think you're right. I think you've almost bang on you. Right. How about Peril Pals can write in and tell us on a stamped address yeah. envelope? <laughs> All right, Craig. Well, what did you think of the film? Yeah, I'm. Uh, Somewhere in between, I echo almost everything uh, the, the rest of the panel said. Uh, one thing that Adam said, some some of the gags don't hit as hard as they used to. I remember being in absolute stitches when we were younger watching this. And like Gaz said, gag a minute, and I remember being genuinely breathless. I, I really loved watching it again this time. My memory is I think I prefer the second one. Yeah. And then on top of that, I prefer Police Squad TV series above that step above again for me. Yeah, I'm the same too. And there's some stuff about this that I think I don't hate, but it's regrettable. So the recastings, uh, I miss Alan North, who played the, the captain on the TV show. He's also in, in Highlander. Apparently, the Paramount wanted somebody bigger in the role. And 
Judge Kennedy, who who plays him, wanted to be in it because he had wanted to be an airplane, and he he was annoyed that he didn't right. get on an airplane. And then, of course, regrettably, uh, casting O.J. Simpson as Nordberg <laughs> for several reasons, but I not least thing. because, uh, yeah, we lost Peter Lupus, who played Nordberg in Police Squad, and who was also in the Mission Impossible TV series. And I think Henry uh, yeah. Cavill's Mission Impossible character is a slight nod to to his character. He's like a big guy. The gags that do still land for me are so amazing uh, and I had a great time with it. And I agree. I think Priscilla Presley's great in this. She's so funny. She's got such a great sense of comedy and comic timing. Leslie Nielsen, obviously, fantastic. I think it was the best, the best, the best said. Sometimes it's just him giving a look and there is so yeah. much of that. Sometimes just looking around and it just cracks me up. Ricardo Montalban as well. He brings such gravitas and dignity to the role and that's what that's the space that naked gun lives in and you know they talked about why they cast leslie nielsen in it is because he he'd been a serious actor before and he has such kind of an air of dignity that the farce that goes on around him is all the funnier for mm. it because of his dead amazing. Yeah. To it. so yeah i i love it I love it. <laughs> it's one of my big favorites. And I'd say alongside Bill Murray, Les Nielsen is probably my favorite actor of all time. Yeah. I could just I could just watch him do deadpan all day. Yeah. I never get tired of watching him. Just a fantastic actor. His timing, as you say, the looks. And my favorite thing he's ever done comes from the TV show Police Squad. He has to tell a wife that her husband's dead and the wife's devastated you know you've never known what it's like to live with a man to love a man without missing a beat les nielsen looks off into the distance and goes once <laughs> and he just goes off into his monologue of how he used to live with a guy <laughs> at college but it never worked out because there, there were all these usual jibes no one understood and this woman's just <laughs> lost her husband crying and he's reminiscing about this old love it's the best thing i've ever seen i'll put it in the show notes for the peril pals it's a great show i think they recreate it in this but not to quite the same effect is the shootout where he's behind the bin and there's another guy who's like behind another oh, bin yeah. and then when the, when you get the two shot of them together they're only like three feet apart yeah. <laughs> just hiding <laughs> from each other <laughs> it was a shame that show got cancelled but apparently the president of abc at the time said that the viewer had to watch it in order to appreciate it <laughs> and they didn't want that that's incredible it's crazy that explains a lot Before I ask you for your highlights and favorite lines, we're going to play a little quiz I'm calling Naked Gun 44 and a Quarter, The Taste of Jeopardy. I have several categories for you containing questions related to the Naked Gun. You'll each get a chance to pick a category and answer a question thereon. The categories are A Rose by Any Other Name A Weird Date Up Yours and all play. Craig, pick a category. Up yours. Uh, pick a category. Hang on. Um, <laughs> it's got to be up yours. How could I resist? <laughs> the elderly driving instructor in The Naked Gun was Orson Welles collaborator John Houseman's final film role. But which 1988 Christmas comedy did he also cameo in? Oh, 1988. I'm going to say a Santa Claus the movie. I'm afraid it was Scrooge, uh, and he played himself. Oh. Yeah, so John Houseman was known for his collaboration with Orson Welles on the infamous War of the Worlds radio broadcast and on Citizen Kane. Wow. And in 1974, he won a Best Supporting Act Oscar for his role in The Paper Chase. Yeah, he, he went on and played that instructor <laughs> in the car, which I think he's just great, just calm yeah, the whole way through. So, Raise yeah. your middle finger, please. <laughs> All right, Turner, pick a category. A, please. A rose by any other name? Well, during production, the creators, David and Jerry Zucker and Jim Abrams, were informed by Paramount Pictures that Police Squad wasn't a suitable title for the film. What was the reason the studio gave? Was it to do with clashing with Police Academy? It was indeed. It was too similar to Police Academy. Oh, you fucking... Yeah! 
Get it up here. Get it up here. <laughs> Police Academy 5 came out in March of 1988. And so the filmmakers were given a list of 20 other titles and chose Naked Gun because it promised so much more than it could possibly deliver. <laughs> <laughs> it's an inspired title. And the best, the best, the best. That leaves us with A Weird Date. Very good. So Weird Al Yankovic's cameo came about after the Zuckers heard that Police Squad was his favourite show. But in what unusual way would Weird Al celebrate his cameo when out on dates? Uh, he would sing a song about it, entitled <laughs> Naked Gun. It's a good guess, but it's not the one. Weird Al would take first dates to the cinema to watch the film, but he wouldn't tell them he was in it, and he'd just sit there waiting for him to show up on screen. <laughs> but he'd be wearing the same shirt. He said they flipped out when they saw him. How long was Naked Gun's theatrical run? How many first dates did he have? I don't know. No second dates. No second dates for Weird Al. He liked the anticipation of a first date. All right, we'll go to the all-play. And this features George Kennedy, who we mentioned earlier, who plays Ed in the movie. Now, he wasn't a fan of the filming process itself because of the number of takes the Zuckers insisted on for each scene. How many takes did Kennedy claim was the minimum for each scene? 26. I'm going to say eight. I'm going to say 19. Well, closest, but still some way off, is the best, the best, the best. Kennedy claimed that the Zucker brothers didn't believe in doing any scene without 40 or more takes. Jesus Christ. And he said that telling a joke 40 plus times in front of a camera was painful. Maybe that's why they did it, to kind of remove any sense from the actors that what they were doing was funny. Flatten it out. Play it as straight as possible. Yeah. A method to the madness, I suppose. Let's move on now to our favourite moments. The best, the best, the best, the best. Please kick us off. I guess it's kind of hard to separate the sequence with lines, isn't it? So yeah. I'm going to go for the sequence with the doctor who gets activated as an assassin to kill Nordberg. And then they get into a car chase with him. And he's successively getting into more explosive situations his car explodes it goes into a petrol tanker then he's on the back of a missile then he goes into a fireworks factory which is all going off with frank saying there's nothing to see here there's all the fireworks are going off behind him <laughs> <laughs> it's an excellent punchline to a very good uh slapstick sequence yeah craig mentioned oj simpson earlier and it is such a shame what happened to him because i think he's fantastic in this He's just right. Mm. More of a shame what happened to his victims and what happened to him. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah. the whole thing, obviously. <laughs> but it's so hard to reconcile the man you see in this film and what happened later, isn't it? With the brutal murderer. Yeah, because yeah, he doesn't shoot anyone in this, does he? He just gets shot himself. <laughs> but he just seems to be having such a good time. I was never able to reconcile those those two things in my mind. And how do I know what to say? It's written down for me. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favourite sequence or moment there, Craig? Easily for me, the sequence of Frank finding a snitch on the pier and saying, <laughs> do you, you recognise this guy? How about now? Hands him in 20 and he goes, my memory's a little hazy. Gives him another 20. It's coming back to me now. Uh, why do you want to know? He says, I can't tell you that. And he goes, oh, yeah? Well, how about that? He's been $20 back. <laughs> Ends up paying Frank more yeah. than he got paid. <laughs> Frank, absolute genius. Frank spots him a 20. <laughs> Wonderful. Turner, what was your favourite sequence at the moment? It's the scene I always remember from this film, and I'm like, I know which one of the naked guns are from, and it's the uh, safe sex scene. <laughs> Just in giant <laughs> condoms. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what on earth were they thinking, you know, or eating at that time <laughs> when they came over that joke? It's like, just put them in massive condoms. 
Well, it was the eighties, wasn't it? AIDS was prevalent. Yeah, I guess, I guess maybe. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, you had to be there at the time, but I still think it's a great joke. It still landed with me very well. So I loved it. Just before that, Drevan says, uh, "Let me slip into something more comfortable." <laughs> yeah. Comes out with a suit and jacket. <laughs> My favorite moment. Obviously, you've covered quite a few of them, but I love it when Frank is searching the perp. But his hands are going into Ed's pockets. Yeah, <laughs> he's got a picture of your wife. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Turner, since you started last last time, tell us your favourite line. Oh, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I'm going to go for, can I interest you in a nightcap? No, thanks. I don't wear them. <laughs> <laughs> Craig? The one that I picked out, because it's just such a classic setup and punchline, is when Nordberg's first in, in surgery at the hospital, and they say to his wife, we can save your husband's arm. Where do you want it sent? <laughs> <laughs> the best, the best, the best. What have you got for us? I've got the first meeting between Frank and Ludwig at his office. Uh, Ludwig says, Lieutenant. And Frank replies, the feeling is mutual. <laughs> <laughs> Craig, you mentioned before that Leslie Nielsen was a serious actor. And so he brings believable gravitas to the role. It's just priceless how he can deliver that line. So, so strange. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, I think he's wonderful. He's one of the best deadpan actors of all time. I do think on his day, Charlie Sheen gets close in, in hot shots and things, but Les Nielsen was just out there on his own. His reaction to when he realizes what he said as well, he just kind of looks down and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's so good at it. Yeah. When he passed away in 2010, he had Canadian Mounties as his pallbearers and they played the naked gun, like police squad starting music as he came in. Wow. Well, my favorite line is a little sequence between Jane and Frank. Jane says, I'm a very lucky woman. And Frank says, so am I. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. But there's just so many. There's even the line where he's looking through Ludwig's drawers and he just says, Bingo. Pulls out a bingo card. Yeah, that's so <laughs> mine that I've got as well. Genius. The one I lived when I was a kid was uh, Nice Beaver. Yeah. <laughs> one that stayed in my mind, I think it's from roughly the same sequences, and this has been in my mind since the 80s, is uh, she had the kind of legs you could suck on for a week. <laughs> <laughs> I've got another one just from Ed, then he said, Doctors say he's got only a 50-50 chance of living, although there's only a 10% chance of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go on, the best, the best, the best. Give us one more. It's at the end of the scene that you were previously discussing with Nordberg's wife wailing in the background, and it concludes with Frank holding her by the shoulders and saying, not one man on this force will rest for a single minute until the men who did this are behind bars. Now let's get a bite to eat. Sweat, and they just walk off. <laughs> I've got a Ludwig one. He's just revealed his true nature. And Jane says, how could you be so evil? And he says, it was easy, my dear. You forget I spent two years as a building contractor. <laughs> and I'll finish off then with one little sequence between Ludwig and Frank Drebin. Ludwig offers... Frank a cigar. He says, Cuban. And Frank says, no, Dutch-Irish. My father was from <laughs> Wales. Hired by a group of evil world leaders to assassinate the Queen of England, Vincent Ludwig, played by the irrepressible Ricardo Montalban, uses sensory-induced hypnosis to turn ordinary people into mindless killers, activating one of the players at a baseball game the Queen is attending. Adam, 
What did you think of Ludwig's plan? Well, he should have known that from being Khan that mind control has its perils. If we're using the same sort of logic as Craig employed on the Guesthouse Paradiso episode in his villainous plot, where the sort of actor and the character become one, and they cross their minds. Mm. So in that way, it was a dreadful plan, but to serve the purposes of the film, quite inventive and hilarious. Excellent. The best, the best, the best. What did you think? Uh, I suppose I'm in two minds about it. On the one hand, mind control. It's a good device because theoretically you don't know when or who is going to strike. But on the other hand, it's a just a bizarre setup in a in a baseball stadium, and it's too elaborate. There's a far simpler way to get it done, which I'm going to tell you. Quite um, <laughs> wrong. I think he's overthought it. Is all I'm saying. Uh, and that's to his detriment. Wait there, wait there, what's that? Some breadcrumbs in my mouth. Oh. <laughs> the best, the best, the best. What are you leaving there? <laughs> All right, Craig, what did you think of Ludwig's plan? Well, I think as you alluded to in, in the uh, premise of this episode, Ludwig is kind of tasked with making this assassination public as possible. So the baseball game, it's a crime of opportunity as much as it yeah. is one of careful planning. He knows the queen's going to be there. He knows that somebody who has to be there has to be the assassin. I mean, I think probably picking one of the players was a mistake because players can get drafted in and out. It's probably yeah. better pick, more more certain to show up. But as a kind of overall idea, I think mind control is a, a really good plan. And I'm going to give him, as I do every week, I score them out of how many whelks I'm going to give him. I'm going to give him eight whelks. <laughs> Oh, the Welk system. My signature Welk system that I've been doing ever since yeah. episode one. Harold Powell. Yeah. Have you been keeping up with my Welk system? I hope you have. If you haven't, then it must be getting edited out. Oh, I, I never listen to these. Yeah. I only listen to better podcasts, so I, I have no idea. This is the first I'm hearing of it. Yeah, I agree. The mind control is an excellent idea. The player was the downfall there, picking a player. Just pick, you know. Someone who's going to be in the crowd or a, a hot dog vendor. Ex-US Navy SEAL. Exactly. Frank Greben. There are a lot of choices. Don't know it would have been better than a player. So for that reason, I'm giving Vincent Ludwig nine florets of hypnotized broccoli. Mm. Okay. That's quite a good score, I'd say. Yeah, I think if you've perfected sensory-induced hypnosis, that's pretty good going. Before our final shootout, we'd like to ask for your help. We're not asking you to foil an assassination attempt or even sing the national anthem in disguise. No, our request is much simpler. If you're enjoying the show, please hit subscribe to enlist in our squad of Peril Pals. And if you're feeling particularly generous, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Your support is our equivalent of Frank Drebin's heroics. Unexpected, slightly bewildering, but ultimately indispensable to us. Now it's time for the main event, where we compete to see who can come up with the most cunningly evil scheme to earn precious power points for the diabolical leaderboard. Vincent Ludwig uses hypnosis in his attempt to assassinate the Queen of England without drawing suspicion but he is foiled by Lieutenant Drebin of Police Squad. Craig, what would you have done differently? Well, fellas, strap in. This is the episode that gets taken off the air. <laughs> by Ofcom. <laughs> Her Royal Highness Lady Elizabeth II, Queen of England, is welcomed at Los Angeles International Airport by the waiting press, who eagerly await her address. She waits impatiently for Weird Al to give up the mic and podium, but after being advised that he's been camped there now for many moons, she heads to her waiting limo, ready to be whisked away to Anaheim Stadium. Paparazzi on motorcycles pursue the limo, 
each paparazzo, keen to get a snap of her royal visage through the tinted windows. The limo driver touches a finger to his ear, and suddenly his demeanor changes. He floors the accelerator, or gas, pedal, and drives erratically, attempting to shrug off the pursuing packs. The limo darts into a tunnel towards oncoming traffic. The paps try to pursue by heading down an adjacent tunnel, but they've been fooled, as the tunnel is just a semicircle of black paint, and they crash in a big fiery fireball. Now safe from the paps, Queenie enjoys a smooth ride to the stadium. Drebin is on the field causing havoc, thanks to the sneaky leak I have provided to Jane, falsely suggesting that one of the ball players may be my assassin. As Her Royal Highness takes her seat, she is greeted by an admiring fan who wants the queen to sign her prized corgi. With a simple blow of my dog whistle, the post-hypnotic suggestion overwhelms the animal <laughs> who mauls her ladyship to death on live television. Papshmir will be pleased. <laughs> How long would it take a corgi to maul someone to death? Oh, ages. Ages. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't someone intervene and pull the corgi away? The thing about a corgi is, it's got that thing where once they lock on, can't open the door. Yeah. <laughs> you got to stick your finger up their ass, haven't you? Is that what you do? <laughs> Push the reset button. But Americans don't know that. They've never seen a corgi. They don't know what it is. Some, some kind of rat. <laughs> I imagine you've got to be quite strong to uh, pull off a corgi as well. <laughs> yeah. Quite, quite dexterous. Go on, you. Go on. Off you come. Go on. Go on. There's a good boy. <laughs> That was very disturbing. You talking about pulling off a corgi and then shaking like the way you did. <laughs> Queen was already quite old and frail by this point, wasn't she? So although it would take a corgi some effort to maul someone to death, she's probably not surviving. Well, I mean, she had another 24 years of life in her at this point, didn't she, at 1988? So. Yeah, but that no corgis mauled her in between that we're aware of. No, not that, yeah. <laughs> I think I think it's more likely she mauled a couple of corgis. <laughs> Rotten old cow. Oh, yeah. Hoofed it across the fucking vast expanse of one of the hallways yeah. in Buck Palace. <laughs> Watch this. <laughs> <laughs> you punt it into a waste paper basket. <laughs> the palace kept it hush-hush. <laughs> <laughs> and she'd go to them. Want to see me kick a corgi again? And they go, <laughs> Yes, Your Majesty. And she'd go, We'll go and do the will go. God. <laughs> so everyone in the stadium is just watching on in terror. They're not jumping in. Like, I, I know that you think of yourself as a Mark Wahlberg type character who would have put, put an end to 9 11 if you'd I been would. on the plane. I but would. if you see a, a head of state being mauled by a corgi, your first instinct isn't to jump in and help. No. It's like, oh my God, a scary dog. And you kind of move oh, back yeah. just long enough for her uh, carotid artery to be severed. If you don't like the monarchy, you just sit there nodding, going, good, good. Well, Americans don't like the monarchy, do they? Famously. That's why they moved to America in the first yeah. place. Well, some of them don't. The ones that threw the tea in the harbour don't. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking about it now, and I think probably my first action would be to put my hand to my mouth and inhale sharply. Yeah. Yeah, like this. exactly. <gasps> yeah, and your monocle would drop out. Yeah, I see. <laughs> and then I'd be scrambling around for that. So I could get back. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> you know, with, with the best will in the world, you want to help, but you just haven't got time. You're too busy trying to find your monocle on the floor. It's dropped right into your cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> just as a particularly thirsty orphan has asked you for a drink. <laughs> <laughs> I say... <laughs> the queen being mauled over there, you little oik. Now step aside, I'm a step in. And by the time you've taken the end off your brolly to reveal that it's also a sword, it's too late. Corgi's done his business. <laughs> All right, well, if there are no further questions for Craig, Adam, tell us what you would have done differently. People who question things who don't go with the flow, like a poo does, are ace. Particularly people who win big prizes, highlighting how superior they are to us, but not their visceral hatred of constitutional monarchy. That remains private. Ludwig, 
brings together the most brilliant minds of the 1980s, many Nobel Prize winners for chemistry, physics, and peace, and Carl Sagan. <laughs> Ludwig has more money than God, so he spends some of his vast fortune and a bit from the other world leaders on these brilliant minds, and they develop a plan. Carl Sagan realizes his dreams and helps these scientific boffins develop the means of contacting extraterrestrial life. As a side note, I'm very glad I used boffins for the first time in one of my plans. Oh, no, really? Can't believe it. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It was a life-affirming moment. When they speak to these aliens, Carl Sagan tells them he is their biggest fan, but they have a surprise for him. They are also his biggest fans and have been waiting for him to make first contact so they can come to Earth and get his autograph and tell him about their culture and space desserts. Sagan introduces the aliens to Ludwig and they tell him of their plan to eliminate the Queen. Aliens tell them they got rid of their own galactic king millennia ago and agree to help them embarrass this shit out of the USA. When Queen Elizabeth attends an American football match, they shoot down a death ray that turns her into a pile of space ash. Nobody knows what's happened as the death ray was invisible and the only warning they got was that Queen was said she was hot just before disintegrating. Carl Sagan and Ludwig decide to go back to the aliens' home planet and become their smesmars. <laughs> Amen. You've gone full on Ian Botham on Question of Sport now, haven't you? Just <laughs> the aliens come down and do it. I'm not having this. This is outrageous. <laughs> That's the most British <laughs> reference we've ever had. <laughs> Come on, what's your problem with that? Come on. I think it's not just a step too far. It's at least 10 or 11 steps too far. Coming from you, the best, step the best, the one. best. Coming from you. That's <laughs> bloody rich. That's bloody rich. Wind your neck in. You might be reigning champion, but you're not beyond a good telling off, I tells you. You were going to list some things there. The best, the best, the best. Yeah. Step one, left foot. Step two, right foot, <laughs> and so on. Until you get space. <laughs> I have a question, Adam. You kind of glossed over this, but how did they make first contact? Oh, they, I don't know. It was just, it's well above my station. <laughs> Turner didn't make first contact. It was Carl Sagan. And, and I boffins. didn't do this. Carl Sagan and his <laughs> bunch of boffins. Boffins. <laughs> Was it on a need-to-know basis and you didn't need to know? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we don't want to know. It'd be too much for my tiny little mind. Confuse. Yeah, and horrify us. Because, I mean, that part's kind of pivotal, isn't it, really? Yeah, but, you know, I can't explain sciencey stuff, so... So why bother? Well, you know, they've done it. All I've... Basically, I've, if I could have done a montage, I would have done, and it basically would have been like scientists looking at microscopes and looking at each other going, just nodding, and then other stuff like that, and then maybe <laughs> like a test tube with some liquid bubbling in it, then maybe them building stuff with a welding mask coming down and stuff like that. Scientists in an alligator suit. Ah, uh, yeah. Sounds like an episode of the A-Team. And then speaking into a microphone and then celebrating like this, celebrating around a microphone <laughs> after they hear something, and then... The, then the aliens are there and they're talking to him. That kid's toy that's a, a dial with animal noises on it. That's how they contacted them. <laughs> no. They hooked it up to a oh, yeah, I saw supercomputer. That. I don't think this is a fair criticism because it's kind of like saying, like, if we did, if we went back to the first episode of the season and I told you my Doctor Who plan and you said, oh, yeah, how does the TARDIS work? I'd be like, well, I don't fucking know. So I don't think this is a, thanks, yeah. this line of, of Pressure yeah. on, on Turner is not justified, in my opinion. So you say it should be stricken from the record? Sustained. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah. I'd like it taken off the official court documents, please. The vote for Turner is stricken from my records. <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd like to strike you from my records. you, <laughs> butler. I like this plan. The fact that the laser's invisible. Of course it is. The alien technology is way beyond ours. Yeah, it could be like a hyper glycemic, <laughs> a hyper compressed microwave because microwaves are not visible. It's like a silent fart, essentially, but a death rate kind. Yes. All right. Well, if there are no further questions for Adam, then the best, the best, the best. What would you have done differently? Um. Excuse me. 
but I don't understand. You see, Ludwig had a perfect plan. Remote activation of assassins who have no memory before, during or after the act of assassination. He knows that Jane is sweet on Drebin. He's seen a full-body condom stuck to the bottom of her waste paper basket with Drebin's distinctive musk all over it. And I mean, he's not blind, come on. Therefore, he should still make sure that Jane thinks the murder of Paddington Bear's favourite monarch will take place at the baseball during the seventh inning stretch and by a player. That's what Jane, and crucially Frank, need to think. Jane is actually Ludwig's first choice assassin, and she easily gets the job done before the Queen is even at the stadium, as Drebin is trying to disguise his way into that same stadium, unaware that Jane has already killed the Queen and the Secret Service have now killed her. His later dancing and tomfoolery now takes on a tragic significance, and he shall never moonwalk again. (laughs) Jesus, that took a dark twist. What you've done is something that you rarely do. I'd say you do this about once every sort of 10, 12 cycles. Yeah. Is you've done the plan that actually is the, the plan that should be the plan, that that actually genuinely makes sense and works. Because even in the film, she's hypnotised. Mm, so yeah. what, why did he do that? Well, it makes sense. It does. It just makes sense, folks. It's unusual because usually you like to you like to peddle absolute fucking nonsense, don't you? <laughs> Every now and then, I do. I really do. <laughs> I think he thought it was nonsense, but he's actually stumbled upon the right answer. <laughs> no, no, it hit me during well the seventh inning stretch. I was like, why didn't he just give her false information, and have it be her, and then he activated her afterwards? And I was like, fucking hell, he even had it uh, hypnotized because I'd forgotten that. <laughs> So I was like, well, it's got to be that then. It's got to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe he like had her hypnotised for other reasons, more sort of... Oh, yeah. I can think of a few reasons I've had it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Get her to do my laundry. Chop some wood. Dig a hole. Chop, chop, dig, dig. Make a nice, uh, <laughs> make a nice pot roast. <laughs> <laughs> well, the best, the best, the best. The Queen would obviously have security guards with her. So how would Jane accomplish this task? You said that Jane killed her, but was it with a gun? Was it with a sword? Was it with a, a pepper army? You tell me. <laughs> no, it's with, it's with a gun. She just calmly walks up saying, must kill the queen, which nobody notices, of course. Uh, shoots her in the face. Uh, let's say three or four times John Wick style. Oh. And then the Secret Service kill oh. her in retaliation. And... Frank is dancing around the pitch, shouting, you're out here, and backflipping and stuff while all this is happening. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, I can just see the the edit that you've done there. You're out of here. (laughs) Sad, isn't it? Yeah. It's a tonal shift. (laughs) (laughs) If there are no further challenges, I will bring us home. As the baseball game's opening ceremony begins, the crowd is abuzz with anticipation, not just for the game, but for the promised spectacle of a very special guest booked by Ludwig himself. 80s hair metal blasts from the speakers, and the stadium becomes an arena of enchantment as David Copperfield appears on the pitcher's mound in a cloud of smoke. The sexy magician wows the audience by making a vintage car appear from thin air. With a flourish, he vaults into it and razzes around all four bases, shouting, Home run, baby! And wiping imaginary tears from his eye as he goes. Then he vanishes with the vehicle, leaving behind only the echo of the crowd's gasps. Moments later, he materialises on second base, where he invites an umpire to handcuff him. He wags his finger at the crowd in time to the music demonstrating that he is indeed securely fashioned. Then, with a serpentine wiggle of his snaky hips, he sheds his shackles and takes off into the air, flying through metal hoops with the grace and poise of a ballet dancer on a bungee cord. As the applause roars through the stadium, Copperfield swoops towards the Queen and, in a moment of disbelieving silence, pulls a live corgi, adorned with a tiny sparkling crown from behind the Queen's ear, to thunderous applause from the crowd. 
As Copperfield takes his final bow, vanishing from the field in a spectacle of smoke and light, Ludwig presses the button. There is a mighty bang, followed by a heavy rain of blue blood. You see, Ludwig arranged for Copperfield to gift the corgi to Her Majesty, but he also hypnotized the magician's assistant to implant it with a bomb. The aftermath is a right royal mess. The sexy David Copperfield is wanted for questioning, but fortunately, there isn't a prison in the world that can hold him. So Copperfield isn't in on it. It's his assistant who's been mind-controlled. Exactly. Okay, that's good. It's definitely Yeah, Copperfield's just told he's going to be gifting the Queen a corgi, and he's loving that. He's like, oh, yeah, this has got to be great stuff. <laughs> Where's he from? <laughs> uh, Holland? From Switzerland? From the Netherlands. Hello, Jeff. I'm David Copperfield's assistant, and also very happy to say his lover. <laughs> Why does nobody suspect Ludwig in this version? Because he's just set up a lovely event to save the Queen. He didn't know that there was a radical in David Copperfield's ranks. He didn't know that. There was no way he could have known that. Ain't no way he could know that. But Drebin suspects Ludwig. Then he confirms his suspicions by finding the, the note from uh, Papshmere. So does that not just, just doesn't happen in this version? It just doesn't. Well, it does. Frank's looking you know, for someone at the stadium, mm. but he doesn't know that the magician's assistant uh, has already a long time yeah. ago stuffed the dog full of TNT. Okay, 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 okay. It's going to be quite difficult for me this week to pick a plan because it's mind control, mind control, mind control. Yeah, the mind control is just too good to ignore, really, isn't it? If you've got someone who's capable of doing that, you're not going to go, mm. well, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> Although maybe if you have the incredible idea to do aliens with an invisible laser, maybe. <laughs> you know, it's my uh, eureka moment. <laughs> and that does make it hard. It does make it hard. I need to know about your private life. <laughs> well, those schemes were tip-wobblingly diabolical. <laughs> now it's time to vote for our favourite. As a reminder, we had Adam's alien allegory, Craig's corgi mauling, the best, the best, the best's Jane Jamboree, and my very own Copperfield Catastrophe. Remember, each vote is worth exactly one point for the leaderboard. No more. Come on, guys. But uh, certainly no, 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 no less. 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 Yeah. Again. Very smooth. And let me remind you that you may not vote for yourself. Adam, who have you voted for? Well, I voted for one of the two distinct plans of this week. One which is mine, to can for me, the other was. Best, the best, the best. All right. oh, oh, oh. We're rocking and rolling. The best, the best, the best. Who have you voted for? It's funny you should ask them, because I have in fact voted for you. Oh, thank you very much. It's very kind of you. Ben, who have you voted for? Well, it's another week of mutual batch scratching, because I voted for Occam's Razor. The best, the best, the best, the best, the best. Oh, ho, ho. we're rocking and rolling. <laughs> Craig, you were having some, some difficulty there. I was a nuts chef away from voting for the, for the aliens, but uh, like everyone else, I fell into the sophisticated trap of voting for the best view. Oh, we're rocking and rolling. Wow, a big week for the best, the best, the best. So, what has that done to the diabolical leaderboard? Big changes, big changes. In the lead with nine points is Ben. Woo! In second place with eight points is the best, the best, the best. In third place with six points is Adam slash Turner. And in last place with five points, it's Craig. Adam, as next week's host, you have the power to command us. 
Tell us, what movie are you making us watch? Well, next week we shall be watching one of the most brutal films that I've ever watched and the best of the best of the best. And I spoke about it and he feels similarly. And it's called The Night Comes for Us. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, is it? Oh, no. No, that's The Night Comes on Us. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's on Netflix, Peril Pals listening, so get it watched. And that's it for this episode. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to hit follow on your podcast platform of choice so you never miss a second of our frankly hilarious musings. And if you could leave us a five-star review, we'd be able to stop faking orgasms. For more nonsense throughout the week, follow us on all the social medias at DiabolicalPod. Join us next time when we'll be dissecting The Night Comes For Us. Until then, just think, next time I shoot someone, I could be arrested. Right, I reckon, Craig, you can do a good siren. And then the rest of us kick in with the, uh, with the theme tune. <laughs> you were right. <laughs> No, it just sounds like a cat getting ready to fight. Ha, 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 ha.